Hello and welcome to the Future Tribe podcast. Each week we'll be talking about getting things done. We'll talk to people who've built up their businesses, pulled off amazing projects and cover everything from psychology and strategy to the tips and tricks that will help make your dream a reality. We're the podcast that's all about empowering the optimists and the go-getters. I'm your host, Jermaine Muller. You're listening to the Future Tribe podcast and this episode is just getting started. Hello, Future Tribe. In this week's episode, we have Leonie Saison from Article Writers Australia. How are you, Leonie? I'm very well. Thank you, Jermaine. That's good to hear. So let's get started. Article Writers Australia, I think the name gives us a good idea of what you do. Uh, you guys write articles, but I would assume that it's not more than just articles. It's also sort of copywriting services. Is that correct? That's correct. We also do copywriting and um, e-books white papers, mm-hmm. uh, video scripts as well. Right, so a whole bunch of um, writing and, and content. Yeah, all forms of written content, content basically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and have you always done all forms of written content or has it sort of um, evolved progressively? Um, no, we, we started doing uh, articles and we were very quickly asked to do other more long-form content, so mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So when did you start your business? Uh, 2009. Okay. So it's about 10 years now, coming up on 10 years. April 2009. Oh, wow. Congratulations. So big 10 years. How did you start? Um, Why did you start? Did you go very intentionally into it or was it sort of this organic? Um, I I did go very intentionally into it uh, for purely selfish reasons. I was looking for a business idea. I wanted to have my own business and I also wanted the flexibility of being able to work from home. So it it was purely a a very selfish motivation of finding something that I could create that could be done online that wasn't going to require me to have an office or... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So sort of low overheads, more freedom, and I guess the benefit also of being able to do the work when you want to. So you can do it at midnight if you you wanted to versus other businesses where you might have to be there, say, during business hours. Yeah, that that was very much it. And uh, the why became less selfish once I started and I started to bring other writers on because I realised how many people were desperate for the same type of work situation, Mm. Um, especially writers who had young children uh, and writers who wanted to pursue, they they were writing a novel or they were writing screenplays and if you have to go to work from nine to five, Monday to Friday, that really hampers your ability to have that creative time. On the side, yeah, work on your own projects. So when you started, was it just you by yourself and did you have a copywriting history or a background or was this sort of fresh? It it was just me to start with, but that was really only for a few weeks before I had enough work that I needed to ask um, my friends for help. So I have always been into writing from a very, very young age. Um, And, but it's just a typical case of uh, you don't make any money out of writing really when, you know, when your parents tell you that. There's no money in writing until yeah, you're yeah. older and you can afford to do it. So meanwhile, go and get a real job. So <laughs> as a lot of writers do, I moved from one, one career to the other and the writing stayed very much as a hobby in the background. Okay. Uh, 
really wasn't until after I had run another business that the, the writing bug seriously took hold. Uh, and then I, I had quite an interest in screenwriting. So I pursued that for a little while uh, and again got stuck into the need to earn a living sort of thing. So mm -hmm. this, this was a combination. This was a how can I do this? How can I do what I like to do and have my freedom at the same time? At the same time. So give me an idea now, you know, I'm not going to outright ask you for your age, but give me an idea of what sort of, you know, um, age range you were in when you started the business, what sort of position you were in, in, in life, just to get an understanding yeah. of, you know, were you sort of um, sitting um, very, very comfortable and decided, you know, this is just something I can play around with or just to get an idea of, you know, what, where, where you were when you started. Okay. I, I don't mind saying my age. I'm actually 55 now. So uh -huh. I was uh, just 40, 45 when I started. Um, I would say, I mean, I owned my own house, not outright, but, you know, sharing it with the bank as we do. <laughs> um, I, yeah, it, it, look, it was more about the, the freedom for me. If I had had to, I probably would have sold the house and rented if I, if I. Yeah, if, if that's what needed to happen. Um, because just the, the freedom and being in control of your, your own day, um, it's something that's really quite important to me. Mm. And did you have, um, did you have a partner? Did you have kids or did you have sort of other things that made you hesitant and that, that made, made you feel like you had to have things go right or. Um, uh, no, no I, I didn't at the time. Um, I, my current husband actually moved in with me maybe about six months after I started the, the business. Wow. Uh -huh. uh, I don't have any children. So it was just totally a decision down to me. Mm, mm. And, and Very that <laughs> sort of put you in a position of setting up a life that you'd be happy for, for the rest of your life, hopefully. Yeah, because, I mean, it sounds like you, not that you were unhappy, but you were just sort of jumping between different roles and, and things like that in the lead up, not quite yeah. fitting in. Yeah, look, I think it's a situation that 99% of the population are in. Nobody wants to be going and working for somebody else, nine mm. to five, really. Ideally, um, yeah. They'd be working on their own dream. They, As someone put it uh, just last week, you know, um, every every time you work for someone else, you go you go to work that day to build, you, you build bricks for someone else's house versus building bricks for your own house. And I think sometimes people forget that businesses um, when built correctly, can stand the test of time and is like a house. I think some people think that businesses are a bit more intangible, a bit more airy-fairy, not realising that you can place a financial value around a business. You can um, you can sort of build a business that is an entity within its own uh, self and then have something that you can do whatever you like with in the future, like owning a house. Absolutely. But I think there, there are different levels, as you mentioned before, where there, where there are other factors that um, would be holding back that decision. And I think it's very fortunate that there were not. Mm -hmm. um, when you're on your own and you, you don't have to consider anybody else what they think, how they think you should do things, um, the risk of failure. If you're, if you're part of a couple or you've got children, then that has to weigh heavily on that. And, and I'm I was just blessed that that wasn't there yeah, for me. Yeah, the cost of failure wasn't so wasn't as great as it could have been or it could be for someone else listening right now. Yes, that's right. So, I mean, who's to say if I had three or four children, whether I would ever have started a business? Mm, mm. 
So talk to me about some of the milestones that you that you hit. So you started the business about 10 years ago. You hired your first person within a few weeks, but first first sort of, I would assume it's a contractor. Yeah, the first contract writers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. since then, when did you sort of, how many how many writers do you have at the moment, if you don't mind sharing that sort of detail? Well, at the moment, we have about 28 uh, contract writers. Mm-hmm. Some of them do quite a bit of work and, and others just do work on particular topic areas when we mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. probably maybe six to ten writers who do quite a bit of work for us. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and more just casual. Sure. And you now work on building the business or do you, do you still do some of the work yourself? No, I don't, I don't do any. Well, occasionally I might do a script, mm-hmm. uh, but for the most part I don't do any of the writing mm-hmm. uh, and I mostly I don't do any of the editing either now. So when did that, that happen? When did that – because I assume – the first few, I mean, I don't know, because saying that you hired the first person within a few weeks makes me think maybe you've just, you know, hit the ground running really, really hard because that's a pretty solid accomplishment, sort of hiring someone very early on. Um, but give me an idea of when did you start working more on the business rather than in the business? What, what was that milestone? That probably happened in about 2011 mm-hmm. um, when we took on a, an editor. I, we had some quite large jobs going through and, and I was getting very, very tired and um, it was also a case of knowing I, I can't be doing all of these hours and building the business at the same time. It's just not possible. So um, I was blessed to find a very good editor who's still with us mm-hmm. now and that was a, the biggest milestone uh, for us was taking on that, that editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we've got to the next big milestone yet because for me that's going to be stepping back even further Mm -hmm. um, and and hopefully bringing in a manager at least for the Sydney. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then sort of having a business that um, needs even less of Leone than it does at the moment. Yes or or at least gets Leone at a higher level. Yeah yeah so you can you can you know spend your days thinking about strategy and thinking about your big next big move um versus probably still of still a little bit of the marketing and and the bits and pieces like that exactly. at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. um so how did you start acquiring these clients uh because a big thing i think you reached out to me on linkedin um originally and my first response was this is really interesting there's this there's this person who's built a business around copywriting now being not really being in this space per se, but we, with websites, with marketing, copywriting is a natural sort of extension of that. Um, I found there not to be a huge demand, similar to say graphic designers. I think, um, most, most of the time because they're shorter term projects, they're, they're harder to say hire someone for permanently, um, unless you're doing a massive, massive volume. Um, how, how have you found it? How did you sort of start to acquire these clients so that you're not, not sort of going through that feast and famine sort of process? Well, that's a a bit of an ongoing effort because you're right. There's not a lot of scope. Copywriting jobs are one-offs. Mm. Um, so you don't want to be chasing 200 copywriting jobs for websites a year. Uh, but, there, but there is a little bit of a trick to that in that, in that you, for a business, you need to find partners who can supply multiple jobs. So I'm not going out there investing effort in finding a business owner who needs a website. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going out there looking for website designers who can send their clients to me and so that instead of sending me one client every five years, a website copy, they're going to send me a client every month or two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... How did you how did you get clients to start off with? Did you just was it just a matter of once you started the business, just day in day out emailing people, reaching out to people, finding people who'd fit that description? Oh, I wasn't even doing that. It, it actually happened. It happened uh, quite unexpectedly. I start, I started the business by putting an ad on Gumtree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if I told you this, this little story last time we spoke. Uh, I put an ad on Gumtree. I was really just testing the water to see if there was a demand um, for this type of bullet. And I had basically about four jobs within a couple of days from that. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of those jobs was from a website designer who said to me, I don't have any money, but if you write 10 articles for me, I will build you a website. Right, yep. So... Our first website, I thought, okay, that's it. We're yeah, doing this. Yeah. Uh, and away I went. So once the website was up, um, business just came. I, right. I wasn't really wasn't actively seeking out, mm-hmm. uh, and I probably should have been. But I wasn't <laughs> so you got a lot of inbound out. sort of people coming to your website and then starting um, conversations. Uh, quite a lot of it was we had some very interesting jobs in those early days. Uh, one of them was actually from America. Mm-hmm. and it was an insurance marketing company. And um, the writers that I had, even from the very early days, were all uh, tertiary educated. I had a little bit of um, insurance knowledge, having mm-hmm. worked in insurance investigations and things like that. So we took on that job and we did quite well with that job. And the, at the time, I think, they were ordering 100 articles wow. a month. They, we had that client for quite a while and then they decided that we were too expensive mm-hmm. um, compared to the American market right. where they were paying like $10 an article or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, they disappeared for maybe about a year and then they came back and they said they had tried multiple services and they couldn't get the same quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they ended up ordering a ridiculous number of articles Um around about 300 a week. Wow. What wow. article? And this is back in the days of, of article marketing. Mm-hmm. They were publishing those articles on um, directories, article directories online and linking right. to their client's website. And of course, all of that came to a, an abrupt end in about 2012. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that, that type of work involving large numbers, that, that sort of vanished. Um, we, we still do get some quite large orders where people are wanting to build up a stock of articles mm-hmm. or they might be redoing a website and, and adding a blog to it and they don't want yes. the blog empty so they're going to have 50 articles. Um, in that people can up. scroll through. So would you say that article marketing or, um, I, I mean, what's what's being called content marketing now and content marketing takes different forms from articles or blog posts to video to, to podcasts could be considered content marketing as well. Would you say that content marketing is dead now from, from, from your sort of point of view or would you just say that uh, it's not no, as so. good as it used to be? I think it's better. I, I think yeah? it's getting better and better and better um, because we, we look for information. 
we have mm. access to so much information, um, but people have to, to think bigger. They have to lift the standards of their content. And produce There's really so good content. There's so much content out there. People want useful things. Mm. They want to hear other people's stories. They want to know it's real. They want genuine information. They want detailed information. They want to be able to compare and, and drill down into the detail. So this is where your interviews, whether it's written interviews or it's podcasts, uh, this is become really that. valuable. Yeah, it, it's. Um, I must confess, I worded that question in a way that I didn't. I guess wasn't leading you to an answer. Um, I I firmly believe in content marketing. I think it is, like you said, it is bigger and better than ever. Um, inbound marketing, people looking for answers where we're sort of wired to Google and Google is wired to give a good response. So when you create good content around that, um, just the other day, I actually saw that Google starts now pushing YouTube videos um, and within the YouTube video, they actually use their technology to mark when the different sort of say chapters of let's say a product review are and they can tell you exactly where you need to click to find out, let's say, the dimensions of a new camera. Um, so it just shows you, you know, to what extent they're, they're, they're pushing things. And I love that you, um, you, you felt like content marketing is bigger than ever because it is something that I tell everyone regularly. And, um, you know, it's, it's fantastic to get professionally written content. Um, but for the people who are just starting off, I genuinely feel like um, they can – they can make a really good start. They can make a solid start by writing content themselves. Um, yeah. You know, do, do, do you agree with that? Um, well, I, I do agree. And, and something I quite often tell people when they say they, they have a very tiny budget for content is that less is more. You, you don't need to be publishing five articles a month. Mm. Uh, no matter what your SEO person tells you, you don't <laughs> need to be publishing five or ten articles a month. What you need to be doing is, is one piece of really high quality, useful content, because that one piece of content will reach many more people. If it's high quality, yeah. People can connect with you. If you're giving them something useful, then the chances that they want to talk to you about what you said in that article or something that you've mm. shown them, it's much higher. Or, or even share it, you know. It's, it's, again, a good point. Let's say someone's looking for how to build your own website. Some people could take the approach of, you know, link a few things like Squarespace and Wix and WordPress and say, go, go sort it out. Or someone else might take a full day to write a detailed article on building your website using WordPress. And I can guarantee that that person who writes, writes that long article will get more feedback, will get more shares um, because not only are you going more niche, um, you're also going to the details of it also. Um, yeah. It's a very good point you raise. Now, for anyone listening who um, or, or watching the video who want to write their own articles, do you have any tips? Do you have any um, things to look out for? Um, now, to the listeners, I must note that it might sound counterproductive uh, for, for Leone to go into tips to write a good article, but I firmly believe that, you know, the people who can afford to pay you are going to come and pay you regardless of whether they hear these tips or not. Um, so I think it's just a point that I wanted to make um, to people listening and watching that it's, it seems counterintuitive, but you know, one of, one of my big projects I'm still working on is how to build a website. 
for yourself is is a tutorial um because at the end of the day if you if you're a startup and you've you're just trying to get your business up off the ground you're not going to want to spend a lot of money on a website but guess what once you build your website once that starts generating business who are you going to come to? Probably the guy who wrote, you know, pages and pages who helped you build your website to a stage where you were happy with it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, that was a long intro, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, article, writing an article, um, look, there will be some people who just find it too much of a struggle to do mm-hmm. it. Um, but writing an article itself, the structure is important and it's also quite simple. An introductory paragraph the points that you need to make or go through, and then a closing paragraph. Um, That's very simple, but the other, the most important thing is always to have somebody else read it for you. Mm. So just a partner, a friend, a sibling. Absolutely. And I I would also say another tip would be take your time. Mm -hmm. Don't um, rush off an article in a couple of hours and then publish it. Take your time, keep asking questions, have I got enough information in here? Put the article away for a day or two. Go back and have another look. Is this information really useful? Can I make this any better? How am I going to illustrate the article to make it a bit more interesting? Mm-hmm. All of those things. Put in a lot of a lot of effort into it. If you're doing one article a month, put in ten hours effort into that one yeah. article if you need to, to be really really happy with it. And then yeah, get. Get a couple of other people to look at it, um, but bear in mind that those people may have opinions that are different to your own. Uh, yes, so just um, sort so of temper temper their opinions with with that lens of they might not like that product or whatever it may be, but but um, still get some feedback. Yeah, exactly. Get get some feedback, but decide which feedback to apply. <laughs> um, I mean, I know we we this happens sometimes with, with uh, clients. If a client shows an article to 10 people, mm-hmm. they'll get 10 different lots of feedback and they won't all be the same. Yes. So you, you can't apply all of that feedback because it'll be conflicting. So, so do clients come to you like and ask you to apply all 10? We do, we do occasionally. Uh-huh. We do. Um, what, what, this is why we actually have a limit on the, the rounds of amendments mm-hmm. that we do. Right. Uh, a bit like website designers do with design. Yes. We have a, a two round um, a two round of amendments limit. And that's because sometimes in the larger companies they, they do put out the content to half a dozen people mm-hmm. and they get that half a dozen responses. And if, if you're not careful, what happens is that they send you the first lot and then so you make the changes and then they receive the second lot of feedback and you you get it back and they're wanting to change things that they changed the other yeah. way the first time yeah. Yeah. and, and it, it can just become a complete merry-go-round. So mm. you have to sort of put your foot down and say, no, um, you've got two rounds of amendments, so make sure if you're getting feedback from half a dozen people that somebody is collating that feedback and saying, okay, well, we're going to apply this. Is this is we will apply. Yes. I think you raised two very good points there. One is when it comes to content writing and article writing um, is it's a good idea to sometimes write something and just let it sit for a day or two. I think a lot of people, I'm guilty of this as well. We, we, we are very big on our own sort of content writing um, and send it out in our newsletter and write articles that we try and try and make sure that is helpful for, for people. Um, 
but you know we do it as well where we just try and like write an article and and send it out there on the same day um which seems seems fantastic when you're you know desperate to get get the, all the content you wanted for your newsletter out but i guess on the flip side if you start doing that um and and letting it sit what what will inevitably happen is you'll start to build a catalog of articles anyway so um you'll have the luxury of posting an article uh that you know is well thought out and well researched um when you're ready to versus trying to meet a deadline and and rushing absolutely i mean there are circumstances where you would want to write and publish quickly if the topic is um time Time sensitive sensitive. Mm -hmm. you're dealing with news related information but that's a different kettle of fish, so... Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the different rules apply in that instance, obviously. And the other thing I um, I wanted to sort of draw out is, as well is that you talked about, um, to me, content writing again or copywriting when you're getting feedback from a client, it's a bit like design where it's it can be a bit of a how long piece of string kind of deal where, I mean... You you just end up making amendments for for infinity. Like that 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 doesn't have to be a logical you know end point. But I like that you've set a limit. Now, how did you? Was that just just testing, just singing, just talking to people, working with clients to work out that two rounds of amendments is is the reasonable reasonable sort of limit? Or how did you come? Uh, no, I probably cheated and copied that off website design. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, two works well because it's more than one, but it's less than three because three is starting to, you know, quadruple the time you've got to spend. Yeah, look, I think two two is reasonable because the first round of amendments, there might be something substantial. They might say, oh, look, I I wish we covered this other point Mm -hmm. in the article. Can we add that in? Um, Or they might come back and say, oh, no, that's not really the style that we're looking for. Yes. Um, so you might have some quite significant changes in that in that first one. The next round should just be very minor. Mm-hmm. Right, just the finishing touches for the last round. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I mean, there are times where, where that doesn't happen, um, but it, it does all come down, as you, you would know, it comes down to the brief. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that, so that, that's the, the next thing I wanted to get into. Yes, so the brief. So... Uh, and when you when you say brief here, you mean getting an understanding of what the client is after, what what this project um, asks of of both parties. Yes. What are your tips around getting a good brief together, um, whether it's specific to you or just in general? What what are some tips that you can give us? Well, I think um, the big difference for us is that the, the clients need to have input. They need to be thinking about it. If, a, if somebody doesn't want to think about what they want, um, that's a bit of a problem for us because that's going to turn into a disaster. Uh, we need the client. The client needs to be aware of their audience, what sort of audience they're, they're wanting to address, what type of key messages they want um, that audience to be receiving. But if, if it's a larger company, then ideally they'll have a style guide mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of do so they, they they know quite specifically the type of language that they want to use the types of styles um for their like tone of voice things like that exactly yeah mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. the small businesses don't have that advantage but they can still put a little bit of thought around who they are as a, as a business and that's um that's something that's quite quite important they need to be aware of their own branding strategy and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how they want to sound exactly yeah yeah 
That, no, that that's um, that's very sort of handy to think about because I think again, it's a, can be otherwise a how long is a piece of string type of question of oh uh, no, Leone, I don't like that tone of voice. Can we try this? Um, do you also try and make sure that you you get down on paper all these things? Is it is it a very written process for I guess accountability or? It mostly is. We we do like to get the briefs in writing. Um, but, however, some people have difficulty articulating mm. what they want on paper uh, or, or they, they just might have trouble choosing the language to explain what they want. So we have a, a couple of little backup scenarios for that. If someone isn't able to describe to us the, the style or the type of piece that they're after, we ask them to find something that they really like and mm -hmm. send us a piece. Even if it's got nothing to do with the, their industry, it can be completely different. If they like the style and the approach, they can send us a link to that and that gives us immediate information because we're able to look at that style and, and see what Match it up is to it, yeah. Um, so in the, other, the other situation we encounter is that there are a lot of people out there for whom English is a second language. Mm -hmm. And they're lawyers and accountants um, very capable of what they do. what they like on the phone, mm. but if they have to write it down, it's more of a struggle for them. Mm -hmm. So um, we do take briefs over the phone sometimes and we'll do that in that situation and then we will put our own brief in writing and we will send it back to that client and say, is this... As what you're after. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, now, looking at... The, the huge volume of, of staff you're dealing with. And, and I guess in, in a traditional business, having 20, 30 people to work with might not be so intimidating if you all turn up to the same place of work and, you know, Leonie, you can look out and see all 30 people typing away and getting their work done. Um, and, you know, when, when they're longer projects, I think that it's less intimidating if everyone's, say, working towards a, getting a website done and there's a team of five, I think it's less intimidating and less time consuming to manage. But how do you manage, you know, a group of a team of 20 to 30 people writing individual, you know, chunks of text? That to me sounds like a huge volume of accountability. You know, there's, there's a lot of, that's a lot of content that is, it's, you know, one website can take 10 hours or 20 hours, but in 20 hours, your, your writers could write, you know, a bunch of articles. Um, yeah. And there's a different level of checking and verification. How do you get across? How do you come across, like get over this or, or what systems do you have in place? Okay. So we actually created our own system mm -hmm. uh, and, and we created this, back when we were doing some of the high volume work and you had to have um, a high level of organisation to put through 300 articles a week. Yeah. You couldn't afford to miss a beat or a deadline. Um, so, so our systems that we use now were kind of designed for that type of volume, which we don't have now. Mm -hmm. um, we had our own built. I looked at a lot of project management tools and they just weren't doing it for me. And so um, somebody offered to build us a system in FileMaker. Okay. And so we set about designing our own our own system and we have. We've got our own little system that we call Scriptus. 
mm-hmm. uh, that's been built in FileMaker, and we have a FileMaker developer who looks after that for us. Uh, and essentially, we upload jobs into that, and it automates the job to the writer, lets them know there's a job on there. Um, the edit, we've set dates in there for the editor due date and the writer due date and when it's got to go to the client so the editor can see everything that's going on, who's got what, who needs more work, who's got so much work they're not going to be able to cope if we give them any more, mm-hmm. um, all of the different topic areas that they prefer to work on, all of that information is in the system and it's all automated. So. When the writer finishes the job and uploads it, the editor gets a notification to say this one's ready for you to check. Mm-hmm. Uh, if something's late, she can see that on the screen as well if something hasn't been uploaded. Uh, and then and we've even tied the writer invoicing to that now. Once the editor signs off on a job, an invoicing button appears on the screen for the writer and they're able to upload their invoice. And that goes through to our um, to zero our accounting system. Love it. That just sounds so beautiful. Um, one of those I... things, you can't, it's not an off-the-shelf thing. It's no. something we sat down um, and the editor and I sat down and went through all the different processes that we needed to cover and then had something built that would automate all of those things. <laughs> I mean, for, for, for those who are listening, um, I, I would say, especially nowadays financially might not be the best way to go. I mean, it sounds like you had enough volume anyway at that stage that you could, it was an investment by that, that, that stage, a a pretty uh, sort of trusted investment in that you knew that it would, it would return. um, You'd get a return on it. Whereas if you started off fresh, um, you know, I would just say, look at, look at what's, what's okay for now, at least to get, get the ball rolling because at the end of the day, a free or a inexpensive software that gets you organized is much better than a expensive piece of software that gets you organized, but you can't afford. That, I think, and that's a very good, that's a very good point because we, we did use a free tool for a long time called clocking it, mm-hmm. um, which was for a free tool. It was quite amazing. Uh, but when we went to look for something a little bit better, the price came into it and, because a lot of those tools charge per user per month. For us, the tools that were coming in useful, I'm looking at the figures and going, wow, that's going to cost me like $600 a month to use that. And it's and not even we, exactly what you want. No, and if we double the number of riders, oh, my goodness. Yes. This is going to go on forever, and the more the busier we get, the more expensive this tool is going to get. That's without even calculating so, the time cost there of trying to adapt to a tool that isn't designed for exactly what you're trying to do and yeah. working around that. And yeah, the numbers would have added up very, very quickly. So, so if you're, if you're looking at something that's potentially going to cost you 600, $800,000 a month, then suddenly the 10 or $20,000 you might have to spend to get the first phase of your tool developed makes a lot more sense after all. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean especially even if you do the maths and you work out that for the first 10 or 15 users you can afford to use that tool then it's still going to be a question of okay what happens when you hit 16 users and this tool is not good enough anymore how much time are you going to spend moving everyone over retraining them all because systems are fantastic but they're only as good as as the people who know how to use it and the people who use it properly um, because yeah. a poorly used system is still going to lead probably even to more chaos than a 
than a than no system at all. So, um, and, I, and you always have to be looking into the future, not at not at now. So mm, mm. that's that's um yeah, really handy to know. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Future Drive podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way to helping us. If you have any thoughts, questions, comments, email us at hello at f-u-t-u-r-e-t-r-i dot b-e. If you haven't already, become a part of the tribe on Facebook. Go to f-u-t-u-r-e-t-r-i dot b-e slash f-b and invite your friends. We're just getting started and we would love to see you there. That's it from us. I hope this episode has empowered you to keep working on bettering your future. It's a pleasure to have you as part of the tribe. See you next time.